0: couple weeks ago how many people lost power in that big storm yeah a bunch of people um, what we, we had we were out for what two days yeah two days seemed like two weeks didn't it there's nothing like a power outage to expose what a spoiled brat I am you know I mean uh, and My dad, my parents are here this morning. You can say hello after the service. Hi, Mom and Dad. Uh, My dad had just given us a small generator a couple weeks before the power outage. And, I mean, it was perfect. It it ran like a champ. We were able to power up our our fridge, Wi-Fi, my computer, I could work, uh, some fans. We even ran an extension cord to our neighbor's house. Uh, He's an elderly widower, and um, we got his fridge running. He was really concerned about charging his hearing aids, so we were able to help him out there. And you would think, especially being a Christian, that I would be walking around those two days thankful and grateful that we had power, that we didn't have to throw away our food, that I could keep working. that We had a fan at night. But, I wasn't. I complained. I have to put gas in the generator every two hours. Uh. Got a blister on my finger from pulling the cord. It's hot in here, it's like 75. It's even more embarrassing to say that after we just prayed for Haiti and Afghanistan, too. And when I say that I was exposed as a spoiled brat, what I meant to say was, I'm selfish. I'm selfish. And when I, when I come to these points in life where, you know, some sin or... Um, bad behavior is exposed, which is like once a week, I, I, I try, I'm not very good at it, but I, I try to look at that sin and figure out what's the root, what's really going on, because cause I I don't think I'm just this selfish jerk, you know, don't say anything, Molly, <laughs> But, but I know that there's something that's driving that selfishness. There's something that is, that's causing that. And the tough part is sometimes if, if you're looking at bad behavior and you're trying to figure it out, you're trying to figure out what the root is, well, you know, something like selfishness, Selfishness causes all kinds of other things it 's caused by all kinds of other things so it it can get confusing. it can be this circular thing trying to figure out what came first, what effect what 's the cause all these things and it just it can get really it can get really difficult to try to figure out what in the world is causing your bad behavior but I think of the story of when I was, um, gosh, probably in my mid-twenties, I was having a conversation with my dad. And I, I can't remember what the beginning of the conversation was. I can't remember what the end of it was. I don't remember what the, why we were talking about this. But whatever that was, he was using it as a teaching moment. And he asked me a question. You're dying to know what I'm going to say, aren't you? (laughs) He asked me, Son, what is the opposite of love? You remember this? No. (laughs) And, you know, I thought, It's pretty easy. You know, love, the opposite. Hate, right? Hate's the opposite of love. Everybody knows that. He said not so fast, not so fast. Let's go to the Scriptures. That was, my, that was my, my childhood, by the way, teaching moments with my dad. Let's go to the Scriptures. And um, so he we went to um, 1 John. You can, you can open up your Bibles or follow along in the, the notes that's in the, in the bulletin. And we read 1 John chapter 4. And before I read this, I just want to say how I am continually amazed. The older I get, the more I I know and understand even just a little bit about human psychology and the work that's been done over the last couple hundred years by you know, psychologists and psychoanalysts and all the things that we know now about how the human brain works, about how emotions work, all this stuff. I'm constantly amazed at how brilliant the Bible is. And that these guys 2,000 years ago, well, that was when the last book of the Bible was written, even thousands of years before that, these people inspired by God had incredible insight into the human psyche and into how people operate. So, I just wanted to say that. 1 John chapter 4, and we'll start in 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world." There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And my dad said to me, the opposite of love is fear. And that didn't really make sense at first, when I, I was first trying to grasp that. But what he continued to teach me was that fear is a root Issue. it's a root cause it's something that almost all bad behavior can be traced back to fear and um, fear is actually it's, it's not just the opposite of love I believe fear is the enemy of love perfect love casts out fear these are like battle terms, right? Perfect love is, is, is what God is, is pouring into us. And it's battling this fear that we have inside of us. And it's, it's, uh, it's cleansing. And it brings us to a point where we're able to operate in a healthy way. The problem with fear is that it it, it creates issues for us. Fear causes us to hold on to things, to protect things to a point that actually invokes sinful behavior. Fear is actually a tipping point. It's a tipping point where righteous anger turns into damaging anger where selflessness can turn into selfishness provision can turn into greed it's a tipping point good things can turn into bad things because of fear you ever heard of a helicopter mom you know that mother that Is constantly hovering over her children making sure that they don't get hurt making sure that they're always on time making sure that they eat the right foods and all this and over and over I mean it's just she's she's constantly hovering over them and that mother would tell you well this is love I'm doing this out of love I'm protecting them but actually what's happening is she's acting out of fear And she's hit a tipping point where love has turned into oppression or control. God knows. God knows something we don't know. He knows a lot of things we don't know. But God knows the only remedy for fear is His perfected love. That's the remedy for fear. And sadly right now, our world our nation is being ruled by fear it's everywhere right it's on tv it's on the news it's in the streets i mean it's easy for us to say oh well that that stuff that bad that's happening in haiti that's happening in afghanistan it's happening right here and it's more subversive because We're still living very comfortable lives, most of us anyway. And the worst part is it's infiltrated into the church, into the body of Christ, and we're seeing it. I mean, if any of you are on social media at all, Facebook, Twitter, any of those places, Man, the the last year and a half, I have seen some really disturbing things come out of Christians' mouths. And, And to be honest, I've probably said some very disturbing things or thought some. Because let's face it, the last year and a half has been pretty crazy by our standards here in America. Social unrest, violence, rioting, Pandemic, contentious elections. I mean, things are really stirring up here. And I don't think the church has reacted very well. I just don't. I've just had just this very disturbed feeling over the last year and a half about this. Last year, oh, right about, I, I guess it would have been springtime, probably, uh, I'm not going to go into the whole story. Most of you know the story of our daughter, Lottie, spent we spent a month in the hospital with her last year, last February. And um, after we came home from that, that's when COVID really, you know, really hit hard and we were in lockdown. We had actually been in lockdown weeks before the uh, the state was in lockdown, and um, but I had spent some time really praying about what was going on, and um, and some you know j- just some of the fear that I saw in the church coming out of Christians and the way that that fear translated into anger, division. Um, and i'm praying about this and i'm just like god what do i do about this what do we do how do we respond what is the right thing because there are some things that i'm hearing people saying in a angry and inappropriate way i'm like "Eh, they're probably kind of right about that or this or that but the response was just not good and he in his loving way Directed me to a, to a verse, and I, I I saw this verse, and your first reaction, and we're going to read it in a minute here. Your first reaction is, "Oh yeah, yeah, those, I've seen all these people they act like this, and that's what I'm talking about, that's what I'm seeing." But God redirected me back to my own heart, because change when you're talking about the body of christ any community really change will never happen with just a mass of people change always starts in an individual's heart if you're praying for revival don't pray for revival until you have prayed for revival for your own heart don't pray for revival For the world or for your city until you're praying you've prayed for revival in your church right so it's got to start in the heart and you know for the body of christ it has to start in our hearts and our minds and then it has to move to the church and then it has to continue to spread from there so you know he redirected me back to my own heart of course right And the verse was Titus chapter 3. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 and then skip down to verse 9. It says, and, and by the way, when we read this, I just told you, you know, my experience reading this and how God redirected my heart. I want the same for you too, you know. I know, you know, as I talk about all the bad behavior we've been seeing from Christians, lots of nodding heads, but We've all seen it. We're all witnessing it. But I think first we have to look into our own hearts, right? So when we read this, I want you to be thinking about your heart, your thoughts, maybe some things that you've said or done in the last year and a half or even more. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities that's a tough one I think for a lot of people to swallow right now (laughs) because in the last five years now we've had two very polarizing presidents right you have Donald Trump you have Joe Biden and you've got the nation that's so divided you know And basically doesn't matter which one of them has been in office you've got half the country saying not my president, right? And so I think of that stuff when I think of this verse. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And also remember, when Paul wrote this, it's not like he was living in some utopia. He had he, he was under the rule of Rome, beaten, imprisoned for his faith. And not just Rome, the Jewish leadership. They were persecuting Christians as well. This was this was just literally years after Jesus was crucified. So, you know, it's, Paul gets it. <laughs> He's not saying this lightly or whimsically. Paul understands bad government and, and oppressive government. And he still is saying this. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. In verse 9, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Yikes. (sighs) These verses, when I read these verses, I thought, this should be on a warning label for social media, right? Like, Christians need to, like, check a box or something and read this stuff before they get on there. That, that verse, the, the, the person who stirs up division, have we not seen so much of that? And again, I remind you, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the body of Christ, Let's talk about division for a minute. Division happens to be one of the main strategies of Satan to destroy and dismantle the church. It's a good strategy if you want to ruin something, right? Divide and conquer. And Satan uses division because he wants us dead bottom line he wants us gone he hates us now one thing we know about Satan is Satan has the power over this world he has dominion here right the prince of the power of the air he has power over the kingdoms of the world too we know this because when Jesus was being tempted in, tempted in the wilderness Um, the third temptation that Satan brought to him, he took him to a high place and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and Satan said, if you bow to me, I will give you all of this. Now, if that was an empty promise, it wouldn't have been a temptation, right? Jesus didn't say, you don't have that. You can't give that to me. Next. No, he said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. This was it. Jesus was tempted to take power over the entire world, all the kingdoms, physical power, to sit in a physical throne and get his kingship early, right? So we know that Satan has power over the kingdoms of the world. And if you think that Satan doesn't have his fingers in all the cracks and crevices of the power, the seat of power of the United States of America, the most powerful nation on earth, then you're naive. He does. Now picture this. You want to destroy the church in America. You have a governmental power you take, you have uh, two ruling parties, basically, right? And you take one of those parties and you sprinkle in some Christian values. And you take the other party and you sprinkle in some different Christian values. You know, maybe on one side you have, you know, the um, you know, biblical marriage, pro-life. The other side you have fighting for, you know, the underprivileged and the oppressed. And you take those two parties and you put them out there and say, okay, Christians, you choose. Choose which biblical values you want to follow and then we'll let this sink in for decades and decades and decades and then it's going to tear you apart because you're standing there defending your biblical principles and because you have a few over here you can defend and the other side is defending their biblical principles because they have a few they can defend And it's causing division and we're hanging on to these political ideologies because of fear we've allowed fear we've allowed this tipping point to happen in our nation and as Christians in our nation where we're letting political ideologies control how we act as a Christian and I can tell you from personal experience it's very difficult to remove yourself from your political views and to just say, I am going to focus on what God's view of the world is. I am going to focus on the mission that God has given us. It's hard. We all want to be in a tribe, don't we? We all want to be part of a group. I'm going to pick this group over here. Or my parents were this group, so I'm going to be in that group. And we just, we all want to do it. It's all fun and games until somebody gets their eye poked out. And that's what's happening right now. We all just want to be part of the group. And we've forgotten that we're already part of the most special group. The title of this message is "His Banner Over Me Is Love." Now, up to this point, eh, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but we'll get there. Now that that phrase, "His Banner Over Me Is Love," that comes out of Song of Solomon, chapter two, and Song of Solomon is um, it's it's love poems, basically, between uh, a bride and a groom. And they're they they're writing poems about each other and to each other and it kind of flip-flops between the man and the woman and uh, it's it's pretty beautiful stuff a little risque sometimes but it's pretty good stuff and this particular one is the the bride and she writes he brought me to his banqueting table his banner over me was love now this is a, it, it's, it's a declaration of, she, she's proud of the fact that he is, is claiming her. You know, that, that she is all his and that he is all her. And he has, you know, put this banner over her of his love. Now really this is a prophetic verse about Christ, you know, and us as the bride. And his banner over us is love. This is our identity, is his love. The interesting thing about this passage is this whole, the the banner imagery, it's actually more of a military image than it is a wedding feast. Because banners in those days, the way that they would fight was, you know, if you were a soldier, you had your group or your division. And that group or division had its own banner and it had its own colors and symbols and you would follow that banner because you knew that that's where your leader was your commander was there under that banner so you always knew where your group was going on the battlefield because you could see your banner and you knew who the other groups are and who was coming and going but you followed that banner that was that was one of your first jobs right as a soldier You'd know where your banner is and follow it and What's fascinating to me is that, as, as God usually does, he takes things that we think we know about and he flips them on their head, right? So he, he uses battlefield imagery of a banner. You know, war is violent and bloody. But he turns it into, his banner is love. Now suddenly the entire landscape of the battlefield has changed. He has brought a brand new strategy to battle that's never been used before. We're going into battle under the banner of love? Okay, let's see how well this works. But um, I, I, I love that, you know, how, how our banner is love. Now, what's Satan's banner? Fear, right. Fear. So we can already see coming together the the, the two enemy or the two bat the, how the battle works. You've got love, you've got fear, right? Another scripture that I I stumbled across. I like to think by the power of the Holy Spirit last year as as I was just kind of wrestling with all of this. Um, Man, this scripture. When I read it, I had—I don't know how. I mean, I—I've I've grown up my entire life as a Christian. I've—I've I've read through the whole Bible, a few times at least, and I don't remember ever seeing this scripture until last year. <clears throat> and it's uh, this is out of 2 Timothy, chapter two. And when I read this, it was like a breath of fresh air. It was like I suddenly felt like. I, I saw the battlefield more uh, clearly. And the verse is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and it says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I suddenly realized... How much I was entangled in civilian pursuits. You know we we can we can, you know, easily bash politics and politicians and, and all of these things. There are still some good things. There are still good things that our government can do and can accomplish and that we, as Christians, can stand side by side with, with some of those efforts. But when we allow political views, ideologies, parties to become an idol in our heart, and when we allow fear to drive our, our behavior about our political parties and ideologies that's when it becomes a civilian pursuit and we're entangled what happens to a soldier on the field that gets entangled in something he's he's stuck he's trying to get out and all of a sudden he looks up oh where's where's my banner where's my guys where's my leader and then you're a, a soldier left alone on the battlefield and that's certain death <clears throat> <clears throat> but when I read that I just, it, it, just, it just became so clear all this division all this fear all this anger these are civilian pursuits this is not my aim is to please the one who enlisted me what did he enlist me for? enlisted me to do this. Romans chapter 12. Starting in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And here's the kicker. And I remember not too long ago when Susie was introducing the, the Scripture journaling. I can't remember if it was July or August, but this Scripture, she, she read this one. And this was like, almost to be like a theme around the Scripture journaling. It says, If possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, Paul could have made that sentence, that verse 18, he could have just said, live peaceably with all. But he didn't. He added something to it. He said, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Because he knew that living peaceably with all is pretty tough because others aren't going to be living peaceably around us and they're going to be treating us pretty poorly they might be saying things to us they might make a comment on our you know our facebook page that's offensive but so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all balls in our court so we we know who our leader is right who's our leader jesus he's our commander we know what our banner is does anyone know what it is love we know what our strategy is to live peaceably with all this is how we fight this is how we fight on a battlefield by living at peace with people we know who our enemy is Satan we know what his banner is fear and his strategy division there's one more thing that makes a good soldier and I'm going to read an interesting verse. might not make sense at first, but this is out of Exodus 12. Now this this is the, the, the tail end of the Hebrews' enslavement in Egypt, right? This is when God brought Moses up, raised him up to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And of course, Pharaoh refused. He wasn't going to lose that economic boon that he had in the slavery. Um, So God showed his power. God flexed his muscles big time to show Pharaoh who he was messing with. And he brought ten plagues in. And at this point in the story, this is right before the tenth plague, which is the plague that brought in the angel of death, where the angel of death would sweep through the nation and would take the lives of the firstborn of every family indiscriminately didn't care if you were Egyptian or Hebrew that's it just came to take all the firstborns lives but God gave them instructions he said this is how you're to protect yourself to kill a young uh, lamb or goat an innocent young lamb or goat um, to smear their blood on the doorposts and that will be a sign to the angel of death that this house is protected by innocent blood. But it didn't stop there. He gave more instructions on what to do then, how to prepare the meat of that lamb or goat, and then how to eat the meat. And it says, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The NIV says, with your cloak tucked into your belt. And the Christian standard version said, you must be dressed for travel. In other words, be ready. You got to be ready. God wanted those people to be ready to go. And mind you, this was the middle of the night. This wasn't the middle of the day. In the middle of the night, they're sitting there with their food and their staff and everything ready to go. Good soldier is ready to go. Always ready. And Titus Paul said, ready for every good work. We don't know what the future holds, right? And and, in all honesty, Jack and Ron and I stood up here a few weeks ago talking about the state of the church. We took a hard hit with COVID. We lost a lot of attendance. Income is down. We don't know if we're going to be a church in January. We just don't. But you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that. Because if God is going to lead us to continue to be a church, awesome, he's going to do that. And I'm ready. But if he's going to spread us out and send us out, I'm ready for that too. The soldier is always ready. The soldier knows his leader, his banner, his strategy, his enemy. So, you have your sandals on, your cloak on, your staff in your hand. You ready? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word and your encouragement and your truth. I pray, Lord God, that you would just prepare our hearts, that you would convict us of what we need to be convicted of, and you would just show us your great and gentle love. Guide us, Father. Give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.